0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, here on Election Day 2020. I know we can't do any political advertising, and I wouldn't want to anyway, so hopefully if you wanted to vote, you voted. If you didn't want to vote, then hopefully you haven't. And... We'll see how it goes. The only thing I noticed about today's election day so far was that this morning when I was playing tennis about eight big helicopters flew from the Chico Airport somewhere. I don't know where they were headed, but that was a little strange. But we'll we'll see what happens. So good luck to everybody and may the may the best candidate win. Well, it's nice that I'm in between the end of the 2019 income tax season, which pretty much ended October 15th, and the beginning of the next one, which there's always some planning to do for people in December, but other than that, the actual busy tax season where I really start having to do a lot of appointments and seeing a lot of people, I kind of started officially on February 1st, so I've actually got about 10 weeks here to get everything finished from the prior year, get ready for the next tax season, get my computers and my software all rolling for, they do a lot of the work. It's amazing. When my father was a tax man down in the East Bay when I was growing up, he had to do them by hand. I'm sure I've mentioned that before, but doing those by hand, you do the front page in pencil, then you you know you have all your back pages already done, but if you have to change a number on one of the back pages, you have to then change that number on the front page, and it may affect two or three numbers. It's very difficult. It was a lot less complex back in those days. I mean, he was doing it since the mid-1950s. I was born in the late 50s, and... I remember as a child just the work they did during tax season where my mom would bring home all the photocopying and she had a photo machine copier sitting on top of our kitchen table and she'd be up till all hours of the night doing all the copies. It was pretty amazing. So the computer has made it so much better. You can, anything you change, uh, you get all the, of course, if you've done TurboTax, you've already done a computerized tax return. I've been doing them now since about 1989 is when I got my official account with LACERT, which is the tax program that I've been using for about 30 years. Most of the accountants, when I get a tax return from another accountant uh, or taking over or looking at someone else's, most of the time it is LACERT software. So it's kind of nice to be using the most popular software. It's very compatible with most other accountants' tax returns when I have to look at them or figure them out, or even sometimes if I get a new client or if I have to send the client to a new CPA, we can actually back up that file in the program called LACERT and send it to the new CPA so he's got it all up and running just as if he had done the prior year. makes it very nice. LACERT actually got bought, I think, probably 10 or 12. I don't remember when, but they got bought by the company called Intuit. Intuit is famous for QuickBooks. They are big in the bookkeeping world, but it's just a great company. And I'm really happy that I use that software. It's very expensive. The amount that I spend each year on the software cost is just super high, but I know that when I have something that needs to be done, even with a complicated tax return, my program can handle it. I have yet to have anything come up that was not handleable by my program that's called LACERT tax software. I don't know how I got off on that subject, but I'm, oh, the reason I'm getting off on that subject is I, every year I have to renew my LACERT and I renewed, I don't know, a couple weeks ago in October, Wow, is it expensive? Anybody who says there's no inflation, they should start buying some tax software. It's probably, it goes up about 10% per year. The way it works is that I do do so many individual taxes that I have a flat rate for all the individuals I can do for federal and California. So those are called unlimited. And that's a hefty price tag every year but I do enough to where that makes the average not so bad. The issue is, number one, when there's an out-of-state I need to do, like a client who has out-of-state income or a client who moves, I'm only licensed for unlimited tax returns to California returns, so I have to pay for, like, if I do a New York, I have to pay a fee to LACERT to run that New York. I believe the out-of-state fee now is somewhere around $60. I know it used to be around 25 or 30. In my opinion, there's at least 10 or 15% annual inflation on that software price. Then the real one that gets me is whenever I am preparing a corporation or an S corporation or a partnership, those are the three big ones. And then there's fiduciaries, which are trusts and estates. Those are called business returns. And I don't have enough to make the flat rate payoff. In other words, I'm not unlimited. Now I am getting to the point where I'm probably close to making it pay to go unlimited with partnerships because of all the clients who use LLCs. My point is that business return 10 years ago was probably 50 or so dollars cost for me to run that software. Now I believe it's really close to 100 I think it's 98 or $99 right now. In my opinion, there is at least a 10% annual inflation rate on things like software, uh, business things. There are, a, oh, I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to do any campaigning. So I won't mention if there's any uh, propositions on the ballot that could raise prices, and I, I won't go any further with that. If you've done your due diligence and read your voter's pamphlet, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. My point of that is that if taxes go up, and I won't mention a proposition number, if taxes go up on business, it will be passed to the consumer somehow, which is just another form of inflation. My main topic today, I'm really... Now that the election's almost over, I think the news cycle will change a lot and we'll get back to maybe maybe business of things that need to be dealt with. Because lately it's just been all a bunch of election-related stuff on the news, which doesn't really accomplish too much. But one thing that I've been amazed at is that our county, it's semi-open now, but it had been getting shut down. And it was shut down a lot back in March and April, especially. And I've begged to differ on some of the statistics they used to close it down. One of the things I noticed was that in the first month or two, they actually went off of uh, COVID, case, uh, COVID deaths, which was a number that uh, I do believe is important. If there's a lot of people dying from something, yes, we should know. And maybe we should shut down all the businesses. Maybe, maybe not. We also should be told what the age groups are that are dying from it. That's just my overall feeling. I noticed lately, the last few weeks, every night on the news they talk about cases. And if cases go up, they start limiting businesses and all that. Well, when there's a death rate, and I believe it's something like a 99.997 survival rate for people under the age of 50 who actually catch this. And it's amazing that a disease that this is that's so deadly, you have to get tested 20 ways till Sunday to even know you have it. Uh, to me, that defies logic. But the article I'm trying to get to with all this is an article from the Daily Mail, which is a British newspaper, and it starts out, this came out, I don't know, about a week ago, I just printed a, uh, it came out October 24th, so about 10 days ago. It says, has COVID killed off the flu? Experts pose the intriguing question as influenza cases nosedive by 98% across the globe. I'm not going to get into this, I'm not a doctor, I don't play one on television, if you can't make the inference that I'm making from that headline, then I'm uh, not, not sure where where you're at. At the same time that we have all these COVID cases, we have zero, virtually zero flu cases. It says right here, influenza cases nosedive by 98% across the globe. I think that pretty much says it all. I printed out about 10 pages of this, but I think if you're interested... If you're interested you should uh, read this article it's from the Daily Mail and if you type in like uh, Daily Mail influenza cases Nosedive, dive you'll, you'll it'll come right up for you but i thought it's fairly amazing how in your face these fake numbers are when you read that there's zero cases of the flu so i don't know if you if you understand what i'm saying but i think you need to put two and two together on this the other thing is I'm getting ready to, I mean, if, I, if a store tells me I have to wear a mask because they are telling me to, then I will wear one because the store told me to. If I don't want to wear a mask, I notice one place, like a public place, like the post office, I notice that their sign on the door just says, masks are recommended, but they can't force you in a federal building, which I thought was sort of interesting. But my main thing is if someone, if someone's worried that I'm not wearing a mask, I'll just tell them, hey, you got yours on. What are you worried about? You're safe. If, if you see my logic there. So my main gripe, whenever the presidential politics comes up, and I try not to take sides because I honestly don't like either side, I do appreciate the fact that our latest president is not a politician and to me that's to me that's the one good thing about it. I have been anti-Republican and anti-Democrat for at least well since I since I've been awake, which I would say would be the probably the mid-80s when I was about 25 or 30 years old. My wake-up call was reading about the JFK assassination. It's definitely. I would think that's. I wouldn't say it's the oldest conspiracy theory because there's some about Lincoln's death and McKinley's death that are pretty weird. Also, my awakening was by reading about the Kennedy assassination and uh, Mark Lang's book uh, "Rush to Judgment" and quite a few books that talked about that. Once I read that, I realized that things are not as they seem, and I was maybe 30 at the time. So, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're not thinking about politics. You're thinking about uh, growing your family. I had, uh, it was around the time I was about to be married, uh, I think. And so your mind is on different things when you're under 30. I was converted reading all about the JFK assassination. And once I read that, I never turned back. Uh, That's when I consider my awake awoken time. And ever since then, I've been reading what I can. I try not to overdo it because it is kind of depressing when you find out that 90% of what you've heard your whole life before the internet was available is not true. And six companies own 95% of the media outlets. And before the internet, that was the only place you could get your news. I recall sitting at the Cozy diner every morning, reading the San Francisco Chronicle from cover to cover and feeling like, well, I've got my news today. But turns out that uh, probably most of what I read wasn't true. And if it was true, it was skewed and the other side wasn't allowed to talk and all that. So, my main gripe ever since I've been, quote, awoke, which I consider myself awoke since the probably since the late 80s. My main gripe is all the money that's been spent, lost, stolen, and gone, and we're a debtor nation with all this interest and debt, and the IRS has to harass everybody just to squeeze out the last couple thousand dollars from the working man. Uh, The property taxes have to go up to squeeze everything out. I disagree with it. I, I believe that if the money hadn't been stolen, we would all be wealthy and we would all be in great shape and uh, that's my opinion. I'll be right back after this first break. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz.
1: Journey Diaries with Bob Holloway.
2: Yeah, I think it was 1983. I'd uh, just uh, moved to uh, Denver. I was uh, an addicted motorcycle riding businessman. My daughter, who was around 20 years old at that time, would visit with me from time to time about this relationship thing with this person named Jesus. And so in May of 1983, she was uh, suddenly killed in an automobile accident. And all I knew was that my daughter somehow was in this place called heaven. And I had to find out how to get there with her someday. It began to make a little more sense of what she had been telling me. And as I as I went through this whole process, I just um, finally asked some, some men that had been real sensitive to my wounding, my pain, my history. And I asked them to pray with me. And I remember the, the morning in a back room, in a prayer room, the Lord picked me up, stood me up straight, and propped me up and said, Now we'll begin the journey together. Changed my life. That's Colorado Pastor Bob Holloway on The
1: Journey Diaries from Biblica at Biblica.com. You are locked into live radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We're here on Election Day 2020, and I'm, I'm on a tirade. Sorry about that. So I did find an interesting article, because what I was saying is presidential politics, I'm not into it. I don't like any of these guys, and one of the main reasons I don't like any of them, and I'm just kind of going back to my more recent memory, uh, Bush Sr., Clinton, I call him Bush Jr., Bush Senior, Clinton, Bush Jr., and Obama. That's 28 years because there was three eight years and one four year. So that's 28 years of complete nobody watching what's going on, stealing and spending, and that's both parties. So nobody can accuse me of being a a partisan. I found this article, it's actually like a paper. It's called it's from the Congressional Research Service. And it says Cost of Major Costs of Major US Wars from 1775 through 2010. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So there's a table with these costs. So anyway, like American Revolution the cost then was 101 million today's cost i think would be 2.4 billion which i can't believe it's only that much war of 1812 was 90 million at the time so that was pretty large and they do list these wars as a percentage of the gdp the gdp in peak year of war so in wo- the war of 1812 was 2.2% of the of the gdp which is gross domestic product which is like the total economy of the us the mexican war in 1846 was 71 million that was pretty expensive the equivalent of 2.4 billion but that was only 1.4% of the gdp now here's the bad one the Civil War for the Union, three point oh yeah, three billion three point two billion in current dollars back then, that's eleven point three percent of the GDP. Then the Confederacy spent one billion. Uh Spanish American War ah, that wasn't too bad, two hundred and eighty three million, which is nine billion now but that was only 1% of GDP, so that wasn't that big. Now we get to the biggies. World War I, 20 billion in current dollars, those dollars, those past current dollars. Constant money in the 2011 dollar, 334 billion, and that was 13.6% of GDP. Then the big one, of course, WW2, cost 296 billion which is the equivalent of 4 trillion now or in 2011 so it's probably about 5 trillion now that was 35.8% of the gdp but what i'm getting to is here's the wars since since i mentioned george senior persian gulf war 1990 61 billion that's not that bad Iraq 715 billion Afghanistan 297 billion post 9/11 Iraq Afghanistan and other well one trillion so so those don't seem that high but still so my point is who gets that money when we spend all the money well part of the, and I'm going off my mind here I'm not I am not an expert I've never worked I actually did used to do some bookkeeping work for the Naval Air Base in Alameda, but it was as an employee of my father. And all we were doing was the bookkeeping of the CPO club and the officer's club and the enlisted man's club. And so that really wasn't defense spending per se. My point is that let's just say there's $5 trillion spent on these wars. Part of it would obviously go to the salaries of the soldiers, but then again, if you have new soldiers being drafted for like World War II, there was already a base of soldiers before the draft that would have already been in. So a lot of the war part, I'm just saying the, the, the salaries of the soldiers would be one big cost of the war. But what's the other big cost of the war? The other big cost would be like the, the gas and the oil to fix all the planes and tanks. And I'm thinking World War II with all those tanks and Jeeps and planes. You'd have the gas. Who's supplying the gas? Now, I heard, and I haven't verified this, I'd love to look it up sometime when I remember to do it when I I have a few minutes, but here's an interesting one I heard about. After Kennedy died, Johnson, of course, took over, and the Vietnam War completely shot up and escalated as soon as Kennedy was dead. That's a whole nother story. Uh, I'm not an expert on all that, but there's probably something nefarious going on there. But one thing I did hear, I heard that Lady Bird Johnson, that was Lyndon Johnson's first lady, I heard that her family was like the contractor for all of the Pacific Fleet's gas and oil. That's what I heard. Now, I would need to look that up. So I don't want to go throwing out... uh, random accusations, but you can imagine how many people in the know and in connected to the big politicians, especially 60 years ago when no one was watching, basically other than three networks who we can see now don't really do any journalism. Um, it turns out that you can imagine just how many friends and family were getting contracts for all the war costs. So not only do you have the people building the missiles and the bullets and the guns and the oil and the gas for the tanks and building the tanks and the jeeps just imagine how many trillions have been spent it's incredible so anyway that's my that's my presidential politics beef that I wanted to that I wanted to air out today because that's how I feel i think they've stolen all the money and we're in debt because some other people have stolen the money I'm not real real happy about that. So another topic that I wanted to bring up was I know I've talked I've talked to you before about the missing 21 trillion and I've been over that quite a few times so I'm not going to belabor you with that. But I did want to do a little bit of a follow up with the professor who the professor who discovered the 21 trillion of stolen money in a 15 year period from only two only two departments department of defense and department of housing and urban development which is called HUD so he's got a bit of a follow up that came out around March and I'm looking it up right now on my tablet cuz I didn't print this out and let me see if I can find it Let me see. Sorry about that. I meant to uh, print this out, but to be honest, I ran out of time. I'll give you a quick synopsis on this one. It's June 27th, so it was just a few months ago. Uh, Michigan State Economics Professor Mark Skidmore's latest updates to the missing money question is now the biggest in history by a long way. Skidmore's research reveals the U.S. Treasury market is rolling over $90 trillion to support the official debt of $22 trillion. That's on top of the $21 trillion Skidmore revealed in so-called missing money in late 2017. Why do you need to churn $90 trillion in debt? Is the U.S. debt really $90 trillion? What could go wrong with this much hidden debt? Skidmore says yes, yes. It is concerning to me because this could blow up. We don't know when or how, but if people lose confidence in our government, they could lose confidence in the currency. That could have severe impacts on lots of people in the whole global economy, above and beyond what we are experiencing now. Is there some reset in play? Is there some bigger issue at stake? Is this pulling away with other goals in mind? Yes, I think so. I don't know how this all fits together, but I do know there is something else going on that we all need to pay attention to. I have documents that say something is really, really wrong and it's not just bad accounting. So anyway, if you wanted to look that up, um, just type in Skidmore 90 trillion and you'll see those, uh, those kind of articles. Things aren't looking good for the old US dollar. The fact that it's the best currency of the bunch is the only reason it's decent right now. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. What we're going to learn here is it did not matter
3: where Israel was. Their lifestyle did not change. Never think that your circumstances of your environment can somehow make up
2: for the rottenness of your own heart. David Hawking explains why we shouldn't make excuses before God. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. This is Pastor Chris Kinson from Community Church of God in Chico. Recently, many businesses and churches have been allowed to open up because the rate of COVID-19 infections has dropped. Our church is now open and we will resume our regular schedule. Our Sunday service will now be at 11 a.m. We also have a midweek Bible study at the church on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and a ladies Bible study on Thursday mornings at our fellowship hall at 10 a.m. We have hand sanitizer and masks available. We also have a radio broadcast that can be heard every Sunday morning on KKXX at 1030. It's called Your Message for Today, and we hope that you would listen in and enjoy the preaching and teaching on this broadcast. We'd also like to extend an invitation to you to come and visit us at Community Church of God, 1095 East Avenue, Chico, California. And may God richly
0: bless you. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers
1: with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero
3: wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America, Land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad
0: Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for spending part of your election day with me. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. I'm just trying to get uh, get my head wrapped around these numbers I've been talking about. I'm going to read a little bit more from, uh, if you go to Solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com, that's Catherine Austin Fitz, I think she used to be the deputy secretary of HUD back in, like, the 2000s or something. And she's the one who got out that Skidmore uh, information. So, uh, I'm just going to read part of this. This has to do with 2016, the, uh, the uh, Department of Defense... Uh, Well, the Office of Inspector General. It says right here. In 2016, the Inspector General issued the document Army General Fund Adjustments Not Adequately Documented or Supported, which indicated that in fiscal year 2015, the Army General Fund had $6.5 trillion in unsupported accounting adjustments. Given that the Army's General Fund budget was approved at $122 billion, $6.5 $6.5 trillion is an astounding figure that is 54 times authorized spending. As discussed previously, unsupported accounting adjustments are typically a small fraction of, rather than many multiples of, authorized spending. The OIG report provided little detail regarding the nature of the unsupported adjustments. However, on page 6 of the document, there is a reference to 170 unsupported adjustments that accounted for 2.1 of the 6.5 trillion summarized in the report. The following was stated in the document: We determined that 236 totaling 2 trillion dollars of the 263 third quarter journal voucher adjustments in our sample and 170 totaling 2.1 trillion of the 194 year-end journal voucher adjustments in our sample were in fact unsupported because the adjustments Forced general ledger amounts to agree with other data sources without reconciling the differences or determining which data source was correct. Corrected errors or reclassified amounts to other accounts without adequately documenting why the adjustments were needed. Or changed general ledger data without adequate documentation to support the adjustments. Now, I'm just going to go off here as a CPA. I got a comment on that. There'll be a lot of times where I'll finish a client's business return and the business returns require a balance sheet when total income is over $250,000 or total assets are over $250,000. Small businesses, if they have those levels, they have to include a balance sheet with their uh with their income statement that they pay the income tax on. So the balance sheet is the thing that'll always end up being, you know, it, Unless somebody's done the books for the whole year, you can end up with balance sheets that just don't balance with all the numbers that they should. My point is, is that quite often with the IRS, uh, a business that if it's off by a thousand bucks, we will make one of these uh, one of these journal type voucher entries that just say, you know, to balance to the tax return because a thousand dollars on a tax return with five hundred thousand of income is not necessarily. that big of a number to m- make a big problem. what what my point is is that theoretically the IRS could look at our tax return and say, oh, let's look at that thousand. Where'd the thousand go? How come you have to adjust it? Not that they do. They don't audit that many. I'm just saying they could. But here we have the Department of Defense where all this money is flowing through all these accounts and they're missing six and a half trillion dollars in one calendar year i mean it's just it boggles the mind and the bottom line the odds are i can't prove it i don't have uh, i don't have a staff of 100 people and 1000 hours each to do the research bottom line is i would bet i would bet that most of that 6.5 trillion is being stolen and it's moving around to other places, and uh, we'll never know what it was for, who got it, who spent it. But uh, we, end up, we end up owing interest on all of this money, and in order to fund all these absolute jokes of uh, things that the government spends money on, in order to fund it, uh, we have to be diligent in our taxes, and then we also have the interest to deal with on all of this debt that pays all of these bills. So my my point is, probably for at least 100 or 200 years, tons of trillions of dollars have been stolen and we're stuck holding the bag. And that's why, as a country, we're broke when we should be rich. And I've said for before for a long time, with our silver mines in Nevada, with the gold in California and Alaska, the oil in the Midwest and all that, there is no way we should ever have become a giant debtor nation. If, if this had been managed correctly over the last 100 years, uh, I guarantee we could have positive net incomes every year and not be a debtor nation. But it didn't work out that way. So my main beef is both parties steal not in the millions, not in the billions, but in the trillions of dollars and we're stuck holding the bag like well that's just that's just the way it is nothing you can do about it well there is something you can do about it you can start examining this money that disappeared and start uh, holding some people accountable for stealing the money so one of the big ways they've stolen the money lately is called it's called FASB 56 and it's uh, actually the federal accounting standards advisory board make, I'm going to try to put this very succinctly, but what it is is I believe this came out in around 2010 after the uh, so-called financial crisis, crisis where, uh, what, $17 trillion got sent to European banks uh, uh, thanks to us, and now we owe that. I believe that's a, about when this happened. So it says uh, the federal accounting, I'll call it FASB, even though it's FASAB. The Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board, FASB, has released Statement of Federal Financial Accounting Standards 56, taking government accounting practices from laxly enforced reporting standards to a new benchmark, entirely expressly approved obvious, off, obfuscation of reporting, and in some cases outright concealing financials. This sounds fairly alarmist at first blush, but simply put, Standard 56 creates a set of situations where government entities may move numbers around to conceal where money is actually spent or even not report spending outright. Many of the concepts in Standard 56 are not new and have been discussed in FASB reports for nearly a decade. However, these new changes make a substantial portion of government financial reporting so unreliable as do not be a useful tool to the public. In order to fully understand Standard 56, we will be taking a fairly deep dive on the new accounting standards it creates, from the history leading up to the new rules to summarizing the exact changes of Standard 56. So this this article, it's too long for me to read you the whole thing, but uh, let me just try to wrap up and summarize what I can tell you about this. And I choose in my accounting practice not to do a lot of audit work because, number one, the liability insurance is through the roof. Number two, I'd have to relearn all the things I learned to pass the CPA exam 30 years ago, and I don't want to do that. It's just a part of accounting that I'm not interested in. But one thing that CPAs can do that nobody else is allowed to is auditing. And this whole FASB thing is all in this it's all in this auditing and the public company financial statements world. But this is for governments and basically it lets them hide whatever they want and not report where the money is. And this thing came about because somebody leaned on these financial accounting standards boards and said, Look, if you don't do this, we're dead. So you gotta do it. So they basically just gave license to the government. To unreport whatever they don't want to report, so anybody that you talk to that reads a government uh, government financial report and believes it, uh, they don't know what they're doing because when you look at the t- trillions and trillions of missing dollars and now this Fasb 56, which basically lets lets the government report whatever they want to report, you basically can't believe any financial documents from the government. That's pretty much what this means. You know, if anybody wants to argue with me, I'm always happy for a healthy debate, but I guarantee that you're not going to even be able to find out where all this money really went. Well, we're going to come up on that final break pretty soon. I, I enjoy business buzz because it gets me out of the office for an hour Even though it's past October 15, I'm super busy with, there's always things hanging around. Uh, When you have a lot of tax clients, you have a lot of IRS correspondence, you got a lot of letters. I take on a lot of clients who are behind in their income tax, and honestly, I'm getting ready to not do that anymore because I'm too old for it. 90% of the work we do when it comes to IRS correspondence is from people who are chronically behind on their taxes, and they always have something they have to have fixed. That's not always true. Uh, A lot of times it is a mistake by the IRS or could be a mistake by my office once in a while. I'll admit I'm not perfect. But by and large, 90% of the work in my office is 10% of the clients. And uh, I mean, I love helping people, but if the clients can't pay their income tax, can they really afford to pay their accountant? That's the dilemma you run into when you try to help people. Uh, I, I do some actual... Uh, what do they call it, pro bono work like attorneys say. Uh, One of my attorney friends sent me a client who is actually an incarcerated prisoner and I helped him get his $1,200 stimulus check because he was entitled to it. So I do some work for free now and then also. Well, stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back after this break.
1: Two reminders for election day. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Today's election day in the United States and it's an important day. And there's certainly going to be a mix of emotions when the results are released. But as Christians, let's remember two things today. One, God is sovereign over everything. God's word says he raises up kings and destroys kingdoms. He's in control, seeing the end from the beginning and has a plan in everything we can trust Him, even if the person we're hoping would win tonight doesn't win. And two, this world is not our home. We're only passing through. While we're here, our primary mission is to share the gospel. As you discuss the election results with others, let those truths shine through.
3: Find answers to your questions about science, the Bible, creation, evolution, and more at AnswersRadio.com. View a transcript of this program when you visit AnswersRadio.com.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I've got one more segment left today. I'm hoping you're having a nice Tuesday. Election Day 2020, the presidential ones only come around every four years. It's sort of like the Olympics. Well, the Olympics used to be four years. I'm sure they've stretched it out now. So Olympics, presidents, and leap years, those all come every four years. And I believe... I'm not a big soccer fan, but isn't that big giant World Cup not every year? Maybe it's every other year, maybe every fourth year. I honestly don't know. Don't want to act uh, ignorant of that sport. I've just never... I was of the generation before soccer got popular. My son's generation played a decent amount of soccer, and I did enjoy watching it being played, but I never enjoyed playing it myself. I played a little bit in uh, junior high and high school P.E., because... They rotated all the sports and kind of made you play everything a little bit. I never enjoyed soccer for whatever reason. I I just, it it didn't catch on with me. So for the last few minutes of business buzz, we're going to do a little business. We're going to do a little business of your mind. How's that? It's what I've been working on. Uh, I won't say it again because I've said it 10 times over the last five years. My book is almost finished, but. I have been working on it. I have a sort of a, well, not a famous author that you would recognize the name, but in relation to the average writer, this person who I know is a very successful writer with many, many tens of thousands of copies sold. And that person is writing the forward to my book. So around the time her forward gets done, which will be, I think, a week or two from now, uh, that's when I'm going to have my book ready to print and I'll put the forward in it and I will be a an actual author of a printed book that I can carry around and show people. Of course, it'll all be, you know, it's all online too, but it's kind of fun to have an actual printed book. I've got one here of um, my favorite book. And if you if you don't like weird religious stuff, turn your radio off. It's called A Course in Miracles and I opened up randomly to a interesting little chapter. It's part of chapter 11. Chapter 11 is called God or the Ego, and this is section 8, The Problem and the Answer. And I'll preface this with my quick, quickie summary of what the course is all about. The course, the goal of the course is peace of mind, and the general theory is that you're not really here this world was over long ago and it's sort of like a bad dream that you're having. And once you wake up, uh, this will all be gone. And that's kind of the bottom line of the course, but it sort of talks about the two minds that I've talked about. One where like with Eckhart Tolle and the power of now, you step back and you observe your thoughts. And once you do that, you're in that other mind. And that's the mind that the, the book course in miracles is trying to, um, get you to go to. Now, that was, that's my quick synopsis. So I'm just going to read part of this, uh, chapter 11, section 8, the problem and the answer. This is a very simple course. Perhaps you do not feel you need a course which in the end teaches only that reality is true. But do you believe it? When you perceive the real world, you will recognize that you did not believe it. Yet the swiftness, swiftness, with which your new and only real perception will be translated into knowledge, will leave you but an instant to realize that this alone is true, and then everything you made will be forgotten, the good and the bad, the false and the true. For as heaven and earth become one, even the real world will vanish from your sight. The end of the world is not its destruction, but its translation into heaven. The reinterpretation of the world is the transfer of all perception to knowledge. The Bible tells you to become as little children. Little children recognize that they do not understand what they perceive, and so they ask what it means. Do not make the mistake of believing that you understand what you perceive, for its meaning is lost to you. Yet the Holy Spirit has saved its meaning for you, and if you will let him interpret it, he will restore to you what you have thrown away. Yet while you think you know its meaning, you will see no need to ask it of him. You do not know the meaning of anything you perceive. Not one thought you hold is wholly true. The recognition of this is your firm beginning. You are not misguided. You have accepted no guide at all. Instruction in perception is your great need, for you understand nothing. Recognize this, but do not accept it, for understanding is your inheritance. Perceptions are learned, and you are not without a teacher. Yet your willingness to learn of him depends on your willingness to question everything you learned of yourself, for you who learned amiss should not be your own teacher. No one can withhold truth except from himself, yet God will not refuse you the answer he gave. Ask then for what is yours, but which you did not make, and do not defend yourself against truth. You made the problem God has answered. Ask yourself, therefore, but one simple question— Do I want the problem, or do I want the answer? Decide for the answer, and you will have it, for you will see it as it is, and it is yours already. You may complain that this course is not sufficiently specific for you to understand and use, yet perhaps you have not done what it specifically advocates. This is not a course in the play of ideas, but in their practical application. Nothing could be more specific than to be told that if you ask, you will receive. The Holy Spirit will answer every specific problem as long as you believe that problems are specific. His answer is both many and one as long as you believe that the one is many. You may be afraid of his specificity for fear of what you think it will demand of you. Yet only by asking will you learn that nothing of God demands anything of you. God gives, he does not take. When you refuse to ask, it is because you believe that asking is taking rather than sharing. The Holy Spirit will give you only what is yours and will take nothing in return. For what is yours is everything, and you share it with God. That is its reality. Would the Holy Spirit, who wills only to restore, be capable of misinterpreting the question you must ask to learn his answer? You have heard the answer, but you have misunderstood the question. You believe that to ask for guidance of the Holy Spirit is to ask for deprivation. Little child of God, you do not understand your father. You believe in a world that takes because you believe that you can get by taking. And by that perception, you have lost sight of the real world. You are afraid of the world as you see it, but the real world is still yours for the asking. Do not deny it to yourself, for it can only free you. Nothing of God will enslave his Son, whom he created free, and whose freedom is protected by his being. Blessed are you who are willing to ask the truth of God without fear, for only thus can you learn that his answer is the release from fear. Beautiful child of God, you are asking only for what I promised you. Do you believe I would deceive you? The kingdom of heaven is within you. Believe that the truth is in me, for I know that it is in you. God's sons have nothing they do not share. Ask for truth of any son of God, and you have asked it of me. Not one of us but has the answer in him, to give to anyone who asks it of him. Ask anything of God's Son, and his Father will answer you. For Christ is not deceived in his Father, and his Father is not deceived in him. Do not then be, be deceived in your brother, and see only his loving thoughts as his reality. For by denying that his mind is split, you will heal yours. Accept him as his Father accepts him, and heal him unto Christ. For Christ is his healing and yours." Christ is the Son of God, who is in no way separate from his Father, whose every thought is as loving as the thought of his Father by which he was created. Be not deceived in God's Son, for thereby you must be deceived in yourself. And being deceived in yourself, you are deceived in your Father, in whom no deceit is possible. In the real world there is no sickness, for there is no separation and no division. Only loving thoughts are recognized, and because no one is without your help, The help of God goes with you everywhere. As you become willing to accept this help by asking for it, you will give it because you want it. Nothing will be beyond your healing power because nothing will be denied your simple request. What problems will not disappear in the presence of God's answer? Ask then to learn of the reality of your brother because this is what you will perceive in him and you will see your beauty reflected in his. Do not accept your brother's variable perception of himself, for his split mind is yours, and you will not accept your healing without his. For you share the real world as you share heaven, and his healing is yours. To love yourself is to heal yourself, and you cannot perceive part of you as sick and achieve your goal. Brother, we heal together as we live together and love together. Be not deceived in God's Son, for he is one with himself and one with his Father. Love him who is beloved of his Father, and you will learn of the Father's love for you. So that starts getting a little bit uh, round and round, and kind of, unless you're really, you know, reading this yourself and concentrating, it gets a little confusing. But in my interpretation as an amateur student of the course, what this is recommending is that when you are with someone, that's where this whole thing of forgiveness comes in. When you're with someone, the normal mind, your normal mind, usually wants to blame people for what you think are your problems. When the Course is saying you need to act as if you and your neighbor or whoever you're talking to, you need to act as if you are one in the same. I'm able to do this mostly by just thinking about the fact that I'm looking at, I say to myself, I'm looking at my own thoughts. And that doesn't diminish someone. It makes you feel like you're connected when you're talking with someone. And that's where the forgiveness part comes in to the course. So I just wanted to share that because that's, uh, that's a pretty interesting chapter there. Now, the other thing I thought I would do, uh, since I only have a couple minutes left, is uh, just share with you uh, lesson one in the workbook that has 365, uh, 365 lessons. So lesson one, nothing I see in this room or on this street from this window in this place means anything. Now look slowly around you and practice applying this idea very specifically to whatever you see. This table does not mean anything. This chair does not mean anything. This hand does not mean anything. The foot, this foot does not mean anything. This pen does not mean anything. Then look farther away from your immediate area and apply the idea to a wider range. That door does not mean anything. That body does not mean anything. That lamp does not mean anything. That sign does not mean anything. That shadow does not mean anything. Notice that these statements are not arranged in any order and make no allowance for differences in the kind of things to which they are applied. That is the purpose of the exercise. The statement should merely be applied to anything you see. As you practice the idea for the day, use it totally indiscriminately. Do not attempt to apply it to everything you see, for these exercises should not become ritualistic. Only be sure that nothing you see is specifically excluded." One thing is like another as far as the application of the idea is concerned. Each of the first three lessons should not be done more than twice a day each, preferably morning and evening, nor should they be attempted for more than a minute or so, unless that entails a sense of hurry. A comfortable sense of leisure is essential. So if you do decide to pick up a copy of the course, which is, it's actually one book uh, with, uh, all three parts, the text, the workbook, and the manual for teachers, it's all in one giant volume, and my copy here is about 1,400 pages long. But if you do pick it up, uh, it just depends how you like to listen. I've been reading and listening to the course on audiobooks for about 10, uh, 11, or 12 years now, and I, I get something new every time I listen to it, so anyway... I wanted to share that. So I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. Have a happy election day. See you next time. KKXX Paradise. K280GL. Chico and K283AR. Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
1: Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Voters are getting out in record numbers in the 2020 election. Wisconsin Biden voter Mariah Foster says the pandemic played a big part in her choice today. Our president isn't doing much about it when it comes to covid And that's a big factor in who I'm voting for today as well because we're like nine months into COVID and it's still getting worse and not getting better. While John Pender waiting in an hour-long line to vote in Council Bluffs Iowa says he's a proud Trump supporter.
0: Best president ever. He's the best thing since sliced bread. And why do you say that? Uh, He's done more than he promised to do. He's not a politician,
1: he's a businessman, and he uh, loves America. All eyes are on battleground states including Pennsylvania, Florida, Iowa, Georgia, and Michigan. Mr. Trump began the day on an upbeat note, predicting that he'd do even better than in 2016. Biden was also upbeat, praising the voter turnout. Austrian authorities say five people have died, including a terrorist, and 17 others were wounded in a shooting in the heart of Vienna yesterday hours before a coronavirus lockdown started. Correspondent Charles de Ledesma reports. Austria's Interior Ministry
0: says two men and two women have died from their injuries in the attack on Monday evening. A suspected attacker who was carrying an assault rifle and a fake suicide vest was also shot and killed by police. Initial investigations indicate the suspect had sympathized with the Islamic State group. One news agency has reported
2: police have searched his apartment and other premises as well. Authorities are still trying to determine whether further attackers may be on the run. I'm Charles de la
1: The suspect was identified as a 20-year-old Austrian-North Macedonian dual citizen with a previous terror conviction for attempting to join the Islamic State group in Syria. On Wall Street, the Dow by 554 points, the Nasdaq rose 202. More on these stories at townhall.com.
2: 6976 That's one 800
1: 990 Here's the townhall.com business brief.
0: Wall Street posting solid gains on election day, sending the S&P 500 up 1.8%. More than anything, what investors hope for is a clear winner to emerge relatively soon from the election. The election dominating investors' attention, of course, but plenty of other market-moving events looming this week. The Federal Reserve meeting on interest rate policy and will announce its decision on Thursday. Its earlier moves to slash interest rates to record lows and to step forcibly into bond markets to push prices higher have helped Wall Street soar since March. The Dow up 555 points today to 27,480. The NASDAQ gained 203 points to 11,160. The S&P 500 ahead 59 to 3,369. New York oil up a dollar two to $37.83 a barrel. With business... I'm John Scott.
1: News and analysis at townhall.com.